How many of you have heard the name of the commentator Matthew Henry? Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator, we sell his commentary in our bookstore. Matter of fact, Spurgeon said if he had to lose all of his books, he would hang on to at least that one commentary. Matthew Henry lived in the 1700s. He was not only a theologian and a preacher, but he was a circuit-riding preacher. And one day, while he was traveling to his next destination, he was accosted by thieves who robbed him. Later, he wrote in his diary these words, and it's a quote. He gives thanks for being robbed for four reasons. He says, first of all, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Okay. Second, because although they took my purse, that's how they referred to their wallet in that day, men carried purses, although they took my purse, they did not take my life. It's the second thing. Third, because they took my all, it was not very much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who did the robbing. He makes that observation. When I read that statement, I thought, thankfulness is cultivated. Most people, when they get robbed, hopefully none of us have, but most of us, if we were robbed, would not stop and give thanks. He gave thanks for four reasons. He had four reasons why he gave thanks. Cultivating thankfulness is something that all of us have to work at. It doesn't come naturally. The Bible says, be thankful in all things. We have to learn to give thanks to God. And this passage of Scripture, even though it's dealing with stewardship, is a passage about thankfulness. So we're looking at how we should give here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, and then 12 through 15. How we should give, really, part two, because I dealt with the first half last week. And last week we saw in verses 1 through 5, Paul says we should give with readiness. In other words, there's an anticipation, there's an eagerness, there's a desire to give out of our goods to help others that are less fortunate. We should give with readiness. Then he says we should give with bountifulness. And he uses the Macedonians, of course, as that example. He says out of their poverty, they gave with bountifulness, with extraordinary giftedness. They gave beyond their ability is the words that he uses. So he talks about readiness. He talks about bountifulness in verses 6 through 11. But I want you to look back at verse 7. Let's read that verse. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is one of the more familiar verses in the Bible concerning stewardship. It states that we must give as we have purposed in our hearts. Purposed in our hearts. Now that phrase means with thoughtful intentionality. We plan ahead of time, in other words. We know what we have, we know what we make, and with thoughtful intentionality, we give to the Lord. We give back to the Lord with purpose in our hearts. In other words, you see a beggar on a street corner that's holding up a sign that said, I need help. Uh, sometimes they're really honest. They say, I'm not going to lie, I want a beer. I've seen that sign, okay? And 
impulsively, you feel bad for him. He looks bad. He's out there on a street corner. His car is parked a long ways away. You can't see a car. And so you hold out a $5 bill and give it to him impulsively. That is not Christian stewardship. That may be charity. It may be generosity. But that's not what the Bible teaches as Christian stewardship because Christian stewardship is thoughtful planning, evaluating what you make and what you have and giving intentionally. I'm not saying we should never help the the guy who's holding out the sign, but I am saying that's not to be confused with Christian stewardship. Look at the next phrase. He says, not grudgingly. If you look up those words, it means with a sour or reluctant mind. Don't say, oh, the offering bag is being passed, or in our case, the offering box is in the back, and I can't walk by it without putting my offering in, but I I really don't want to. I, I just have a hard time pulling my offering envelope or whatever out of my pocket. He's saying don't give with a sour mentality or a reluctant mind. Don't begrudge or complain about what you are required to give or what you feel you should give. That's what he's telling. Don't begrudge it. I've been pastor here for a long time, as most of you know, 38 years. And you hear things. I remember a couple who we were pretty good friends with. We did a lot of things together. But the wife always said, well, if my husband didn't give like he does so generously, we would drive a newer car or we would live in a bigger house. And once in a while she'd say, or we would take nicer vacation. She was saying that for my benefit, I guess, that if her husband wasn't doing what he felt he needed to do, she would have more money and really would enjoy life more. It always, it was always a reminder to me that you're giving begrudgingly. Maybe your husband isn't, but you don't like it that he is. I have no idea what they gave, but she reminded me, I guess, that they were being generous. What is he saying here? Don't give with a sour or reluctant mind. Don't begrudge or complain about what you feel you have to give. Because if you do that, you lose the blessing. You lose the blessing and the reward of giving. Because we're to give in just the opposite manner. Neither are we to give out of a sense of compulsion. Notice what Paul says in this verse again. Out of necessity. In other words, something that's imposed by duty or by law is the idea. If we give out of necessity because we feel this is my duty or out of lawful obligation, this is what is expected or required of me, then we lose the blessing. In my mind, when I read that verse, I think of an old-time dentist who's pulling wisdom teeth and he's yanking and he's pulling and he's gouging and he's drilling because wisdom teeth don't come out easily and he's got one foot on your chest and he's kind of pulling away at your wisdom teeth. That's the picture that comes to my mind. Some people give that way. You just got to have to pull it out of them. Paul says, don't give that way. Matter of fact, the next phrase is in complete contrast to that. That kind of giving is beneath Christian giving. Notice what he says in the last phrase of verse 7. He says, uh, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. You probably have heard the word cheerful there in the Greek language is the word hilarious or hilari. 
where we get our word hilarious. It's hilarious. God loves someone that absolutely enjoys. They get great joy, excitement, and actually it comes out in an emotional way. They are hilarious givers. That's the way God wants us to give. It's the idea of excitement, joy, and thrill. That spirit of joy sweeps away all human restraints. When we see that what we're giving is one of the only two things that we will see again in eternity. The people that we bring to Christ, influence to Christ, into the kingdom of God, and the money that we invest in God's work are the only two things that we will see on the other side of this life. Our loved ones who knew the Lord and came to know the Lord and the money that we invested in God's work. So we should give with excitement. We're not under law. There's not some kind of a tax imposed upon us. We can give because we're New Testament grace givers. God has blessed us. We give back to him gladly because he's given so much to us. We should give with cheerfulness, verse 7. Look at verses 12 through 15. We should give with thankfulness. This is appropriate for this time of the year as we observe thanksgiving. We should give with thankfulness. Allow me to read those verses for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, the needy saints in Jerusalem he's referring to, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. So it meets their need and it causes them to give thanksgiving to God. Multiple, many people are giving thanksgiving to God because of your gift, he says. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God because of your obedience, of your confession to the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God that is at work in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable, or as it says in some translations, unspeakable gift, referring to Jesus Christ. So several times here he mentions they will praise God. God is thankful for your giving. We should give thanks for giving. So we, as we come to the climax, the conclusion of this passage on giving, we notice that Paul transitions from talking about giving to talking about worship. And that's a very natural segue to go from giving to worship, the natural result of an overflowing life of which we share through our giving, the natural overflow of that is to bring praise to God, is to worship God. It is extricably tied together. Our giving and our worship are tied together. Our worship to God is tied to our wallet as much as it is to the hymn book or our Bible. They're tied together. In verse 12, he describes the needy who received the gift as praising God. So as we give, the needy people who are recipients either of the gospel or maybe even physical and material need are able to lift their voice and praise God because we help meet that need. You know, I've often wondered at this time of the year, because this 
This passage is telling us when we give, it causes people to praise God. And this is the season when we do that. People who don't believe in God, who do they praise? At Thanksgiving, around the table, probably many of us gathered with friends or family and we thank God for material blessing, we thank them for spiritual blessing. What does an atheist do or people who don't believe God, who do they praise at this time of the year? Oh, I thank my lucky stars. That means they're an astrologist, I guess. I thank my lucky stars. The stars lined up and good fortune has fallen upon me. Sometimes people say, well, fate has fallen unto me in pleasant places. You know, it's just the circumstances have fallen out and I've been blessed. I was born in America. I have a good job. I have a healthy family. Uh, Just good fate, good luck, sometimes they say. Because if you don't believe in God, who are you going to praise? The stars, luck, fate? (laughs) No, we praise God. We praise God because he's the author of every good, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights, the Bible says. Have you ever seen someone response when they received a much needed gift? The tears that flowed, the gratefulness that was expressed, the emotions that came forth because a need was met. They didn't know where that need or how that need or who was going to meet that need. And they couldn't help but just say, praise God, he's met my need. I've seen that happen. I'm going to guess everyone in the room today has seen that happen. Probably the most striking instance of that in my mind is when We took up the offering and raised $90,000 for the Akka Bible translation. You've heard me talk about it before. And because we helped pay for a major part of that translation, when it was handed out to the Akka people in Vietnam and and Thailand and and China, I was invited over to preach the dedication of this Bible. They didn't have the Bible in their own language. And they shipped them in. They were printed in China, but China wouldn't let them cross the border. So they had to ship them by boat and then take them by truck. And they had semi-loads of Bible, the New Testament. And when those Aka people received the Bible, they fell on their faces. They fell on their knees. They praised God. They'd never had the Bible. They'd only heard people preach it. And they'd been saved. But they'd never owned a copy of the Scriptures before. And they were so grateful, so thankful that it moved them, it changed them, and it changed us. When people have a need that's met, they automatically praise God. Certainly if they're believers, they do. When we give in the name of Jesus and people's needs are met, the Bible is telling us they are moved to lift their praise to God in gratitude. And in worship, they may not even know who the people were on the giving end of things. They were simply on the receiving end of things. Finally, those who give will rejoice. Verse 15 tells us that. And we're probably mostly on the giving end. We live in the most prosperous country still in the world. In spite of what's going on, we still live in a prosperous country. Verse 15 says... Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. One of the greatest expressions of gratitude in the Bible. Paul is saying, 
And Paul had a command of language. He spoke Aramaic, he spoke Greek, he spoke Hebrew, probably spoke several languages around the Mediterranean world. He was a very educated and learned man. But when it came to this, and he was thinking about this gift of Jesus Christ, he says, I don't have the words to describe this gift of God giving his son. It's beyond my ability to put into the lexicon of of human language. I can't say it. I can't describe it. It's beyond my ability with word. It's God's unspeakable, indescribable gift of his son. And that's what we share here today. And if there's anything in the world that we can be thankful for, certainly the house that we live in, the cars that we drive, the job that we have, the family that is around us, the church that we're a part of, there's probably a list of things that we should all give thanks for. But one thing everybody can be thankful for is that God sent his son to die on the cross and purchased our salvation. That's an indescribable gift beyond our ability to express it. Here is giving at its highest level. God gave to sinners and met the greatest need that they had, their sin problem. Sinners come to Christ through this indescribable, wonderful gift of God's Son. So as we conclude this matter of giving, we see that God, he tells us, God is both the one that prompts us to give and provides the means so which we can give. It's God that puts it on our heart to give. I don't go around twisting people's arms. We don't even take an offering now. God continues to meet our needs. Last week, Paul pointed out to me in the midst of preaching about giving, last week was the poorest offering we had all year. So we're done with talking about giving. But we're working our way through Corinthians. So we're done with that. But we have to realize that God is the one that prompts us, not a pastor, not a preacher, not our conscience even. It's God who prompts us to give, and it's God who provides us the ability to give out of what we have, out of what we make. And as we give, God says, I can trust you now. I think I'll give you a little bit more because you're giving. So our gift is an offering that he says here is ascending like an Old Testament sacrifice as the aroma, as the smoke of the sacrifice arises up out of the temple. It's ascending up to God. So as we give, it's an offering that ascends to God. Our gift is not only placed in the offering plate or the offering box, it's really placed at the feet of Jesus. As we give, we're really giving it at the feet of Jesus and saying, God, Take what little I have, take what little I can give, or as much as I can give, and bless it, multiply it, and use it in a great way for your glory, and someday I'll see the reward of that. That's what Paul is telling us. So we give out of thankfulness. Father, thank you for your indescribable gift, this unspeakable gift of your son, We give gifts, we give offerings, but they're simply to take what you give to us through your son and to further that work, to further that message. And so we're grateful that we can be fellow laborers, fellow workers with you. 
And we ask that you will help us as we observe this table today. We reflect upon your great gift. We reflect upon our great sin debt. Every person here is a sinner. Some of us may be forgiven sinners, but we're still sinners. And we think of your sacrifice and how it paid the way for us to stand righteous before you. Through your broken body on the cross, through your shed blood that poured from your veins and your side, and was the perfect covering, the perfect atonement for sin. Once for all, never needed to be offered again. And that by faith, if we receive your gift of eternal life and through what your son did, we realize that we're forgiven throughout eternity. And we rejoice in that. We're so thankful for that. We're amazed by it. In Jesus' name.